David founded Expensify many, many years ago. They're growing. They've doubled their customer base really since the last time we spoke, going from about 25,000 companies using them six months ago to about 42,000 now, less than a million active employees or seats on those accounts. They're doing, they haven't broke the $100 million AR uh, mark yet, but again, really healthy economics in terms of how they're driving with their bio coefficient. Get the janitor first, get the janitor out four or five other people, get to the decision maker, close the deal, drive expansion revenue 500% in the first three years. Their team of 120 folks up there in the Northwest making expense reporting not suck. This is The Top, where I interview entrepreneurs who are number one or number two in their industry in terms of revenue or customer base. You'll learn how much revenue they're making, what their marketing funnel looks like, and how many customers they have. I'm now at $20,000 per talk. Five and six million. He is hell-bent on global domination. We just broke our 100,000 units sold mark. And I'm your host, Nathan Latka. Many of you listening right now don't have time to listen to every B2B SaaS CEO that I've interviewed. If you want to get access to the database I've created with year-over-year growth rates, customer accounts, margins, and many, many other data uh, metrics and data points, you can go to getlatka.com. Here's the thing, though. This database, I keep it to myself. It's so freaking valuable. And to preserve the quality of the data and make sure that the people that have access to it have a true advantage, I'm only letting 10 companies on each month. So we're full this month, but you can go to getlatka.com to get on the waiting list for next month. And look, there's big people on the waiting list. I mean, the biggest VCs you've ever heard of. You've probably heard of them. They're big, private equity, billions and billions under management. So it's an impressive waiting list. Go get on now at getlatka.com. Hello, everybody. My guest today is David Barrett. He started programming at the early age of six and has been aspiring to become an expense report magnet ever since. Interesting, interesting focus. We'll talk to David about that in a second. He attended the University of Michigan, where he worked in the virtual reality lab before moving to Texas to write 3D graphics engines for the video game industry. Next, he moved to California to join Travis, uh, obviously Uber, in building a peer-to-peer file transfer technology called Red Swoosh, which was acquired by Akamai in 2007. In 2008, David left Left that company to start Expensify and has since been relieving the world's frustrations one expense report at a time. David, are you ready to take us to the top? I definitely am. So you like pop out of the womb and you're dreaming about expense report management. I don't believe it. I mean, it's just the sexiest thing ever. I get into it for the chicks, obviously. But no, I mean, we. I think like most great businesses, you sort of fall into something that everyone else has overlooked because if if it weren't overlooked, it wouldn't be a great business. It would just be the thing that everyone else does. Yep. And so, yes, this particular space had been seen as such a dull and boring space forever. And I thought the same thing until I kind of stumbled into it and realized, oh, my God, this has been uh, this is processing billions of dollars for millions of people. And it is one of the most powerful enterprise applications on the planet. And it is super antiquated. And so when we stepped into it, we brought the very first mobile app to expense reports. I mean, it sounds crazy to even Wait, say but that. David, how are you exposed to the problem? Did you have this at Akamai? Like, how did you learn about the issue? Well, I would say, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is everyone does expense reports. It's synonymous with business. It's your very first accounting problem. Like way before you have an accountant or think about accounting, you're keeping track of your expenses somehow. So everyone has experienced the problem, but the way I fell into it was actually totally backwards. I was doing something completely different. I am, um, uh, so I just stole my company to uh, Akamai. Um, I had more money than I ever had before. How well, much? Give me a sense of where your head was at. It wasn't a ton. It was like, you know, uh, like hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank sort of thing, but like okay. not, not a shitload, but like enough. So it enough was 
is like enough where you don't feel any pressure, but not like go buy a private jet money. Exactly right. And yeah. so I'm walking around the Tenderloin in San Francisco, and I see a lot of homeless around there. And I'm like, I, I don't believe giving money to the homeless helps, but I do want to help somehow. And so I'm like, I want to give them food. So taking homeless to like into a restaurant is like really, really distracting. Um, it's, and so I'm like, I want to give out money in some fashion, but I don't want to give cash. And so I wanted to get a prepaid debit card that could only be used at restaurants that didn't serve alcohol. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I could build that. That sounds cool. And I went to the banks with this idea, and they're like, no, man, that's just that's way too weird. And I'm like, okay, I need to think of an application <laughs> for these cards that sounds legit. And so I'm saying, well, forget all that. Now I'm going to do expense report reimbursement with this prepaid debit card that a company can lock down and work at certain merchants. And they're like, uh, oh, that sounds safe and boring and, and I hate my expense reports too and so I actually had no intention of building the expense reporting system it was just my Trojan horse to let me build this card so I could give money to the homeless safely um, and uh, and then I, f I fully intended to get rid of the expense reporting products or not even build it actually I just wanted the card um, and then as I got into it people were just so excited about the expense reporting problem like there's something here I, I didn't think anyone no one thought anything was here and I didn't either but now that I'm here people realize that uh, this is such an exciting thing and so we kind of got into it so that was the last time we had you on the show was about six months ago and you had raised i think at that point 25 million dollars that's still the same right or have you raised additional capital no no we haven't raised we don't intend to raise anymore i would say um we're you know profitable we're growing and so we just, you are pro you're profitable at this point that's great so you're not burning capital each month yeah correct. that's great and what's your team size today we're about 120, I think. Okay, great. Yeah, so that's that's good growth. And then uh, you're founded, obviously, that was 2008, right? Yeah, that's right. Hell of a time to start a company. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, it's great for me because uh, when you're pitching, like, expense reports, it's like having uh, something very tangible is great. When everyone else out for the past few years, like, prior to that, it's like, you know, social networks for kittens or whatever. Yep. And so, like, we come into the scene, like, everything's collapsing around us, but, like, we seem like a very safe bet at that point. So it was great. Yep. What is the average customer paying you per month to, to use Expensify? Uh, well, average is tricky because we have a huge, like, we have... 42,000 customers, whatever, but that ranges everything from like Fortune 500 on down. And so when you say customer, is that seat per business or is that unique business count? Business. Like uh, unique so business. businesses and then basically all of their employees basically are our users. Um, and then we've got millions of free users on top of that. So we got about 5 million users total and then some subset of those pay for 40,000 customers. And so I'd say, so averages are tricky because it's like, that's like saying like, what's the average customer for Google? It's like, well, I, mean, I don't know. It's like, is the average business size on the planet is yep. it. well we and can so there's a different way i guess that we could kind of back into this well let me ask this first because i want this episode to get you new new users or for the listeners that are good customers what what is the typical starting point for a five-person team startup well, I would say it's, um, the starting point is always just with any individual. Anyone who puts a receipt in their pocket should be using Expensify. It doesn't matter if you're putting it for work, for personal, whatever. Like anybody who is tracking a receipt for any reason has a reason to use us. And how much and so to start? Uh, it's free for individuals. It's free for up to 10 uh, receipts per month. And then it's basically $9 per active user uh, after that. Okay, $9 per active user. Now, your enterprise plans, it's fair to say that $9 in the minimum they pay per seat, it's probably more than that if they add additional product features on? Yeah, it's just flat nine. There's only nine. That's our only price. I mean, I guess- Oh, you that's your only one. price. 
Yeah, you can. We also have a team plan for five dollars, but it's like very stripped down, uh, mostly for like nonprofits and things like this. If you're a business and you're using Expensify for you know expense management, you're paying nine dollars. Okay, got it. That's helpful. And then, and then, of the forty-two thousand businesses, how many people did you say are in those businesses that are actively using you? I mean, this is like you know, like under a million. I don't know the exact number. Okay, you think you'll break a million this year? Uh, I don't know. Good question. I, did, I, I that that particular number is not one I track closely. But what do you care? What do, what do you track the the most close? What is a key KPI for you? That's a good question. I'm not really a numbers person to be honest, because I would say like I think about month like revenue obviously and month month annual growth, but yep. I would say um, all everything else is just a vanity metric. Number of users you have, number of customers you have. Um, conversion numbers all those kinds like those are kind of interesting in, in the abstract but really it's how it all adds up that matters and so i don't pay a lot of attention to the individual numbers yeah so what was monthly revenue last month uh, we don't really share that but i would say we're still under 100 okay under 100 million in arr yeah okay but g give me a bottom to that give me a, whatever range you want more than 50 less than 100 more than 75 less than 100 i would just say under 100 okay but so you could be doing a million I could G give me no. give me some bottom to help us stay focused. Nah. <laughs> okay. Well, look. Last time on the episode, you had you said about twenty five thousand companies were using you, twenty five million raised, and you said MRR was somewhere in the range of four million bucks. You're ahead of four million bucks at this point in MRR. So I'm just going to say, you know, I know you're trying to pin me down here. I'm just saying we're keeping it under a million. Well, David, uh, under what? Uh, we're under 100 million in ARR. Yeah, just so, just so you know, David, I'm not trying to pin you down. This is just I'm taking it from our last episode when you came on, when, when we talked about numbers. So generally speaking, you said the numbers you do, usually ask other numbers, but you said the numbers you care about are just you only look at month or month revenue growth. So so annually, what is that? Uh, oh, I would say so we're doing um, just uh, under 100 percent yeah, year on year still, which is tough at the scale. But yeah. I would say the nice thing is actually we've uh, in this past year, we've actually made a bunch of product changes that have caused growth to sort of reaccelerate, which is really hard to reaccelerate growth. Um, growth and expansion revenue or new customer ads? Both is a good question. But I, I'd say new customer ads, especially given that we sort of doubled, you know, the customer count total. Uh, but I would say expansion is actually the, the real bulk of our revenue growth, because we have this huge body of customers that are all growing. And because it's activity based pricing, basically, all of our customers pay us more now than they ever have. Not because we've raised prices. In fact, we've never really raised prices. It's just because the customers themselves grow. And so we just are kind of uh, riding the tide. Well, they're, they're, even if the customers grow, if you're not increasing prices, you have no additional way to make money unless you're selling them additional products. So that's how you're driving expansion revenue, correct? No, it's, uh, it's just active users because if you have more employees. Oh, I see. Uh, and also, um, as the product gets better, we get more of your more of your employees active on a monthly basis. Because as expense reporting gets easier, more people buy stuff for the company, and that's okay. So besides the number of seats lever that you use to drive additional revenue per customer, more wallet share, I, I imagine you also have tiered plans for like probably number of seat or number of a uh, number nope. of uh, receipts processed. Nope. Well, it's I mean, you said you do do that. I mean, you said in the trial when people start, it's free up to ten, and then you kind of accelerate after that, right? So there's the two. There's basically the five dollar plan, the nine dollar plan. But uh -huh. it's not really an upgrade path it's more of a self-selection it's like based upon your functionality if you are good with the five dollar plan you're going to be good with it forever it's not like we're trying to promote you from five to nine it's just basically like one or the other and uh, so most companies the vast majority of revenue is on nine dollars per active user yep. and that's it and there's no integration fees there's no upgrade fees there's no any of that what is uh, obviously a key metric in terms of uh, in terms of kind of business health and SaaS business is retention so like uh, w when you look at retention annually what are you at Oh, well, I would say the important one is 
uh, revenue retention and okay. we're uh, way over 100% revenue retention. And so I'd say like um, every um, every year, uh, customers pay us more on aggregate than they did the year before. And so every cohort we've ever acquired pays us more today than they ever have. By about what percentage? 10% more, 20%? After three years, they pay us about 500% more. Okay, got it. So just to be clear, if they start in year one at a hundred bucks a month, give it three years, they're going to be a five hundred percent increase. Right. That's great. You know, it's rare that a SaaS company kind of, uh, well, I guess considering the, the when you were founded in two thousand eight, but it's rare that you have that kind of cohort data to actually be able to predict that. For people that are listening to the show that don't have that same cohort of data, what advice would you give them to try and predict those kinds of things for planning? It's so hard, and I think that. Uh, data doesn't necessarily make things predictable, however, because I would say like a challenge is at a certain scale, um, like just because we've grown month on month steady for a long time doesn't necessarily mean we always will. Uh, and I would say in general, I would say predictability is not as nearly as important as people make it out to seem because like predictability is always good until suddenly something changes and it's no longer predictable. You're fooling yourself if you think you know the future. I think it's much better to build a business that's sort of protected against change. And so I'd say more important than being able to predict uh, future profitability is actually getting profitable because then it just doesn't matter. Yep. Uh Tell us how you're acquiring customers and don't tell me a weird story of how you've done this. You seem like a pretty creative guy, you know, i.e. the credit card story with the homeless people. What's a weird strategy you've used to acquire customers? Well, I would say, um, so we tried a whole bunch of stuff, but the weirdest one is the only one that really works. And that is just get the hands into the, uh, get the product in the hands of individual employees and then have them promote from within. So like most people are trying to like acquire the decision maker, the CFO or whoever it is. We try to acquire the gender, the person that no one else is paying attention to because they're the easiest to acquire. Everyone else is like, you know, has all those like tall walls and defenses against being called or whatever. But someone like an individual salesperson um, is just not you used to being targeted for an enterprise product. And so if you're just saying, especially if it's a free product for them, it's like, look, I'm not trying to sell you anything, man. I just want you to track your receipts because I know you hate what you're doing right now and I can help help you out. And so routing around the decision maker has been our entire business model and is why we succeed. So this is going to only apply, but it's going to really apply to a very small segment of my audience, but I think it's important. That Janner, I imagine a lot of your first time use cases, they're putting it on their personal card, that five bucks a month or that nine bucks a month. They're just like, I want to be able to report my expenses better to get paid quicker from the, the parent company, blah, blah, blah. Once you start landing and expanding and you're looking at the email addresses and seeing, you know, at abccompany.com, there's one the first month, there's 10 the month after that, there's 100 after that. How do you transition literally, technically from your price? back and how do you get those people move from paying with their personal cards to selling to a decision maker and a big kind of annual contract it's a great question and that there is a we put a lot of time into the upgrade path and so basically like when you first sign up for the mobile app we ask you essentially do you want to collect receipts from someone else or do you want to submit receipts to someone and if you click submit it's like cool who do you want to submit them to and you type in the email address of your manager it's like great now we know who you, your manager is thank you for that introduction then we say like who else submits to that person and it's like oh okay you type in some friends. It's like, great, now we know your coworkers. We just created a company for you. And then every time anybody submits a receipt, that's another time to promote that to your decision maker. And then we use basically every expense report as a highly targeted marketing message to the actual buyer. And then we say, it's like, hey, click here to take over this entire policy. And then you can get all this additional functionality. Got it. Things like this. Click here to like save your employees from paying this for themselves, buy a group plan, you get a little discount or something, whatever. That's right. And so that's like our entire business model. It is the only thing that's ever worked at scale. Um, and it's the thing that we invest the most energy into. And it's very, very tricky. Last, I mean, go ahead. Everything from like even the technology behind it. 
this is maybe a little wonky, but I'll say, like if you build your product um, with the expectation that you're gonna split your customers up between a bunch of different databases, this gets really hard because then when an employee signs up, which database to put them into, and, ha and then once they're in the wrong database and you find out like, oh, actually they work for this other company, how do you switch them? We've built in a tremendous technology stack that's much more like Twitter or Facebook than it is like Concur or something else. And so it's not just a business model, it's not just a product, there's also the technology to support the set of scales. Yep. Facebook would say we need to get them to add seven friends before their first three days for them to get sticky. You're going to say for this to perform like our past cohorts and increase in value 500% in the first three years, we need a janitor add at least five people in the first month. And you're kind of optimizing everything around whatever that metric That's is. Exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. What is it? Is it is it five employees in the first month or what's the... Yeah. I don't think that we've nailed it down quite the number like Facebook. And yeah. honestly, I suspect Facebook's number is bullshit anyway. Yeah. Uh, or changes. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I would say the main thing is we just want to get you um, to share it with at least one other person immediately in your very first session. Um, and then to try to get active in the first month, like to submit an expense in the first month. If we can do that, we feel like we're doing pretty good. Last month, uh, what did you spend strictly on your paid channel? So if you, if you spend any at all, Facebook, Google ads, things like that. Nothing. We don't have any paid channels. Okay, got it. So no paid channels. Do you do anything like sponsoring conferences or, or keynotes, things like that? We do a lot of conferences, actually. We have like a pretty rigorous conference game. Uh, in addition, we host our own conference, but I would say it's really not for customer acquisition. It's more for establishing sort of brand leadership. And furthermore, it's also about just um, because we have this very novel customer acquisition channel that no one else does, um, to us, the conferences, everyone else cares about the conferences for lead generation, and we don't. And so we can show up big, much bigger than anyone else, because the ROI of the lead is just not our goal. We're just viewing it. We're viewing the, the value of the conference it's very different than everyone else. And so we can outspend everyone in our space because we're just trying to acquire brand loyalty, which is a very different thing than acquire high R sort of positive ROI leads. What would you say annually you spend just on conferences? Oh, um, I mean, single digit millions under 10, okay. I would say, but like. And if people want to check yours out, what's the name of your conference and what's the link? It's called Expensicon, E-X-P-E-N-S-I-C-O-N, Expensicon, I guess. Um, but yeah, but I would say it's a, it's a very unusual conference. It's uh, only 100 people. It's invite only, and it's in Bora Bora. All expenses paid by us. <laughs> and so it's basically it's a, it's more like the Davos of accounting, if you will. And so I think that uh, we do have the ability to you can apply to come. So basically, email join us at expensify.com and give your best pitch for why you should come. But it's not the sort of thing you can buy your way into. How many people end up there? 100. It's only it's 100. 100. And how do you yeah. decide which 100? What's the decision tree like? I would say it's the hundred sort of most interesting and influential people we can find in the space. And so like a lot of um, uh, large sort of accounting CEOs, like, you know, uh, Rod Drury, the CEO of, of Zero, was a, a keynote speaker there last year. Um, a lot of other uh, our top partners are there. Some of the uh, finance teams from like some are like Ubers there, things like this. So a lot of our customers are there. It's basically just the most important people that we know. Uh, we want to bring them together. Um, share our uh, future and then get their feedback. Generally speaking, what are you paying to acquire a customer? And if I, I imagine your answer might sound like, Nathan, we don't really look at that. How do you think about customer acquisition costs in terms of payback period? Well, I mean, I guess we don't do any paid acquisitions, so it's fully it's, weighted. So includes sales, marketing, salaries, etc. That's that's. I think that's actually not a, a fair question because that's like saying it's like um, the whole point of a payback period is to suggest that you could pay X dollars to get one more, but you can't. 
just amortize your, your sort of support team over your free cohorts and, and claim that as a, a uh, as a paid acquisition cost. I would say like, we don't pay for leads. And so it's not that I'm trying to be coy. It's just like, I have no, I can't answer that question because it's asking me like, how much do you pay for milk? And I'm like, I don't drink milk. Mm -hmm. Well, just to be clear, your, your free leads aren't going to convert unless you support them by spending money on support people, right? I mean, they're, they're like, there is a cost there. You just haven't, what you're, what I'm hearing you say is it's not important to us. I haven't calculated it. It's not, it's not a key driver for us. Well, I would say no. I would say um, uh, cost of sale is not the same as cost of customer acquisition. Okay, but teach me there. Break that down. Why is it different? Well, I would say the um, uh, like you um, the cost of sale is how much you pay, uh, sort of divided by the number of customers you have. Uh, but that doesn't mean paying that one more time. Like that means like paying twice as much is getting twice as many customers. Like um, you could double the cost of uh, you could pay all of your engineers twice as much. And that would make sort of, you know, your costs go up, but that doesn't mean your sales are going to go up. That's not a way to sort of drive sales or like you could pay twice as much for servers. You can do a lot of things and pay twice as much for, but that doesn't actually drive new customers. And so I'd say like the only thing, if, if you're thinking about paid acquisition, it's you can invent all these numbers and a lot of VCs will ask you and like and force you down this metric to, because people just can't conceive of the idea of not paying for leads. They just force you to sort of like pretend like you do. But if you actually don't pay for leads, just refuse to get trapped in this dynamic because it's gonna for, uh, cause people to evaluate you wrong. Well, David, so I understand from the evaluation perspective, I'm not trying to force you in a hole, but the, the saying that you do not pay for leads, like that's a very specific thing to say. But going back to your example about like server costs, let's say you add servers and and the website speeds up by 10%. You're going to increase conversions. Like you spent X amount of money to make your system more efficient and you can kind of correlate that back to growth. That's why you're so confident you can overspend people at conferences because you know it's general brand building and eventually it will pay off and you have a lot of confidence in that. So, so how do you, what is your guidepost for these kinds of decisions? I would say, like, um, like I, again, I don't know that, like, buying twice as powerful servers is going to double sales. Like, I don't think, in fact, I don't think it would. Um, and so I would say... Uh, well, then how, how would you, David, sorry to cut you off, but how would you, how would you validate spending more on, this is, we're using a hypothetical here, but how would you validate spending more on servers if you weren't sure if it was going to pay off or not? Like, you have to believe it will, otherwise you wouldn't make that investment in the business, just like your conference spend. Yeah, believing it will and... Uh, and Quantifying are not the same thing. I think the most important decisions are generally not quantified mm -hmm. um, or not quantifiable. And so I'd say if you're running your business because you can prove with numbers that your decisions are good, you're going to fail because that means someone else out there who's bolder than this you better numbers just has different stinks and is just oh yeah and is just focused on building a stronger business. So it's like yeah, we spend millions of dollars in conferences. Could we spend twice as much? There just aren't twice as many conferences to go to. We go to every conference. We go as big as we possibly can, and that's it. And so it's not like uh, do it like could we cut corners? We probably could. Could we pay more? We probably could. But like it's good enough, and that's not the thing that's going to move the needle anyway. And so I don't want my organization focused on overly optimizing something that doesn't matter that much. When it's like instead, let's focus on just building the best possible brand via every uh, means possible, supporting that with an incredibly good product flow, and then maximizing our differentiation, which is our customer acquisition. And all these numbers, honestly, in the end of the day, just don't. Really matter zora is growing fast obviously there's a lot of players in the fintech space if they showed up at your doorstep or zero anyone and offered you uh 300 million dollars to sell the business do you sell no how do you think about that that decision uh i would say well first like everyone's here's attitude towards buying or getting acquired 
uh, it's just like, man, things are too great. Things are like the team has never been better. Our customers are never better. The, the product's awesome. The growth is awesome. We're profitable. We open this badass office in Portland. Like everything's amazing. Show me. So, show me. Can you turn your camera around? Can you? Is it easy to give me a hint of what it's like? So let's see. Here's. Uh, I'm, I'm in the call room here. Uh, here's our boardroom here. Um, <laughs> That's cool. And uh, and so let's see here. here you guys is, see this uh, on YouTube? You have to see it on YouTube. He's showing us around. Oh, that's that's very sick. It looks like restoration hardware or something. Yeah. And so um, so anyway, and look, we're still building it out and everything. But um, uh, so we have just you know things are so great right now. Like why would I want to change? Um, and so no, it'd take a lot more than three hundred million to make us uh, want to walk away from this. Guys, big news. Last month was a huge month for the company I recently acquired, which was www.thetopinbox.com. I liked the company so much when I met the person who created it. It lets you send emails later on Gmail, set up reminders like snooze almost to keep your inbox clean, do things like send auto follow-ups and do open tracking so you know when your emails get opened. It's great if you're in sales or CEO or trying to be more productive. So listen, I bought the whole company on the spot and I wanna tell you how I did it. I've showed the deal, by the way, to big smart people, private equity firms, VCs, and they're dumbfounded. They go, Nathan, how did you do this? We've never seen a deal like this. How did you do this? So I did an unbelievable deal and I wanna show you the income report. So for me to send you the income report, go to www.thetopinbox.com click the red button that says install this on Gmail. And when you do that, my email will appear. It'll appear in a little uh, Gmail pop-up window. Send me an email and I'll reply immediately with the income report. And you can see how I'm buying and growing small B2B SaaS companies. That's www.thetopinbox.com. Totally free to try and use. www.thetopinbox.com. All right, David, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book? say good to great number two is there a ceo you're following or studying right now i guess it would have to be elon musk because the man's just our tony stark <laughs> number uh three is there besides your own is there a favorite online tool you have like acuity scheduling um i don't use a lot of tools honestly i guess i'd say google docs google docs yeah number four how many hours of sleep do you get every night about eight actually i sleep well okay and what's your situation married single do you have kids uh, I'm married with a uh, two and a half year old daughter. Oh, wow. Okay. And how old are you? I'm uh, 42. Last question. Take us back 22 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Um, oh, great question. I would say that it is possible for everyone else around you to be wrong and for you to be right. And that's usually where you make the most money if you're a capitalist, right? <laughs> there you guys have it from David. Founded Expensify many, many years ago. They're growing. They've doubled their customer base really since the last time we spoke, going from about 25,000 companies using them six months ago to about 42,000 now. Less than a million active employees or seats on those accounts. They're doing, they haven't broke the $100 million AR uh, mark yet, but again, really healthy economics in terms of how they're driving with their bio coefficient. Get the janitor first, get the janitor, add four or five other people, get to the decision maker, close the deal, drive expansion revenue 500 500% in the first three years their team of 120 folks up there in the northwest making expense reporting not suck david thank you for taking us to the top it's been a real pleasure thank you so much